Hey guys, what's up? It's your boy Vershab here with another episode of Uncut Lifestyles. I've been gone for a bit just to focus on some personal project, and I had to tend to a family emergency due to COVID-19. I'm going to start dropping episodes twice a week, starting this week, every Tuesday and Friday. First thing I want to say is hashtag South Asians for Black Lives. As an ally of Black Americans, I have donated to organizations that seek to advance racial equity and dismantle white supremacy. Organizations such as Black Lives Matter, National Lawyers Guild, Code 2040, Minnesota Freedom Fund, Reclaim the Block, Division of Indian Work, etc. But Black Lives Matter is the most controversial out of any of these organizations that you can support. So let's break it down. And before I say anything, I want to say hashtag my platform, my opinion. As a podcaster, I welcome disagreements because that means you want to be part of the conversation, but disagreeing with basic statements about human rights and racial equality are not welcome. So Black Lives Matter Foundation Incorporated is a global organization in the U.S., U.K., and Canada whose mission is to, again, it's taken directly from their website, eradicate white supremacy and build local power to intervene in violence inflicted on black communities by the state and vigilantes. In a sense, BLM is sort of a trifecta, right? It's an organization, it's a social movement, and it's a message. The message being that Black Lives Matter. But some people are opposing this because they think that it means that Black Lives Matter more than the rest, or only Black Lives Matter, so they say all lives matter, or white lives matter, or blue lives matter, right? Logically, there are some major issues with saying those three things. Just a quick aside, we're not going to be focused on formal arguments here. Formal arguments as in, like, arguments with premises, evidence, and a conclusion, but rather implied arguments and positions that people take that are logically at odds with, with the actual statement. First issue is that saying all lives matter, blue, blue lives matter, or white lives matter are implied straw man arguments. So a straw man argument, right, is when someone takes what you've said, such as black lives matter, exaggerates it by assuming that only black lives matter, they put a false assumption on it, right? And then they attack that exaggeration as if it, as if that's what you actually really said. I mean, the assumption itself, again, is flawed. For example, if you listen to Ben Shapiro, he'll say shit like, "The left is basically saying X. The left basically wants X. The left doesn't like Y." He'll he'll just really quick mischaracterize or misrepresent arguments, and then he'll refute that misrepresentation all the time. He, I feel like he has a tendency to oversimplify things left and right. And people who haven't been exposed to formal logic or logical fallacies are going to start worshipping him, man. I mean, I remember when I was in college, uh, when I was in college last year or a couple of years ago, I was like, hey, this guy's spitting some facts. And then I started studying for the LSAT. I'm like, wait a minute. A lot of the shit that he's saying actually doesn't really make sense. I mean, he graduated from Harvard Law School. <laughs> Come on, man. Secondly, most importantly, these people are missing the point, right? The BLM organization came about as a response to unjustified police killings. And because that is still happening, because black Americans are three times more likely to get killed by the police than white Americans, and 1.3 times more likely compared to unarmed white Americans, source mapping police violence, we need to say that black lives matter because it feels like they don't matter to the police or to the state. It's also important to consider that no one started saying all this other rash shit until someone said black lives matter, right? They started saying, oh, all lives matter or blue lives matter just to discredit the entire point of why we say black lives matter. I think overall, we need to be more conscious of how we're thinking through these things, right? Because the issues of police brutality and systemic racism go beyond their subject matter. We have to change how we respond when, when people are speaking about a particular issue or making a particular statement. For instance, and this is a pretty innocuous example. 
like innocuous, meaning like not harmful or offensive, but it's irrelevant, right? So about four years ago, uh, maybe been a little longer, I met up with two of my friends near Princeton University. We were just talking about uh, feminism, actually, because my friends, they were interested in taking a class. And somewhere along the line, I casually said, yeah, you shouldn't hit women. Just a casual, completely true statement in itself. I didn't assert anything more. I didn't say anything less. My friend goes, well, you shouldn't hit anybody. Or you shouldn't be hitting anybody. And I felt as if I said the wrong thing. I hope you can understand the issue here. Or the issue that I think is here. We do this a lot. I mean, in everyday conversations, someone will say something like, you're unique. Or like, someone, someone's unique in a certain way. And then someone else will be like, well, everyone's unique. Right? I mean, I'm sure we've definitely encountered those before. I know I have. You got to stop doing that. That's my basic point. Right? We want to be inclusive and equal, but sometimes doing so is going to is gonna make it seem like you're trying to undermine the actual specific message that someone or a group of people are trying to say, or an argument that a person or a group of people are trying to make. Saying you shouldn't hit anybody is true. You shouldn't hit anybody. But in that moment, it had the effect of completely undermining what I said, as did the comment about Say, you know, saying everyone is unique. It's not it's not necessarily a straw man flaw because nothing is being exaggerated or distorted. But again, it's missing the point of what someone said or of, or, or of what I said, like entirely. By the way, I'm hyper analyzing these like little situations just to make my thought process a little clear to you guys. Moving on. People most often attack Black Lives Matter for being a leftist organization and not really for making bad arguments or saying things that don't make sense. This is called attacking the source of the argument, right? Just because the source represents a certain ideology or has a certain bias doesn't mean that what they're saying is bullshit. So learn to separate organizations and individuals from the arguments or the things that they're saying. This involves thinking for yourself, doing the research yourself, which I think people should be doing anyway. There's also the generalization flaw, generalizing based on a small sample size or arriving at a conclusion based on like just a few incidents. This is exactly what some people are doing in reference to the protesting. A couple protests became violent. Now, all of a sudden, all protesters are violent. They won't say anything about how 99% of protests were peaceful, nonviolent, and all-inclusive. By the way, anyone who says ACAB, all cops are bad, all cops are bastards, you're doing this exact same thing, right? You're doing the exact, you're using the exact same reasoning, which is why there's going to be extensive pushback. And then there's the red herring fallacy, which is introducing another topic that's not related to what someone is saying to divert the attention of listeners or readers from the original issue or what from that person is originally saying, right? People are doing that by bringing up black-on-black crime. If you're listening to something and your first instinct is to be like, well, what about this? Are are you going to cover this? What what about that? Why aren't you focusing on that? Why are you focusing on this? If you're doing that in any sort of context, I would say, you're undermining everything that that person is talking about. You're neglecting to give that specific subject matter the value, recognition, and the respect it needs. Also, right about now, you might be thinking, damn, this is a long-ass intro. When's the episode starting? This is the episode. I decided not to have an intro on this one because it's just me, right? Quick note. I was forced to make this episode because no one really wanted to have a conversation about this, I feel like. I've seen that people can post all they want on social media, but I think once you mention it in a conversation, a lot of people, there's, I just, it's just something, like, I feel there's pushback that no one wants to discuss. Everyone is busy living their own lives. I get it. 
So I'm doing the next best thing I could. I'm just talking to myself here. So back to it. Some people are saying that BLM doesn't really care about black lives because they've done nothing to stand up to black on black violence or black on black crime, right? So this critique right here fails to understand the context in which we say black lives matter. Cops are unjustly violent against black Americans to the point in which they end up killing them. That is the broader context, right? And again, it's important to note that BLM is an organization focused on, again, this is taken directly from their website, ensuring that candidates are held accountable for the issues that systemically and disproportionately impact black and underserved communities across the nation. Their focus is the system. They've also stated in the past that bringing up black-on-black crime is not a valid criticism because it distracts from the central focus of their own organization, (coughs) the red herring flaw. (laughs) Saying, what about black-on-black crime, to me, suggests that you're suggesting that something is wrong, specifically with the black community. White people make up more of the U.S. population, but no one says shit about white-on-white crime. It's important to quickly acknowledge that poverty, underfunded schools, among other things, contribute to the crime in minority communities, and why it has always held a disproportionate focus when people talk about crime just in general. Also, a lot of communities have their own anti-violence community organization. For instance, in Newark, New Jersey, there's the Newark Anti-Violence Coalition. They want to... Again, to take it from their website, declare street violence a public health emergency, marshal all the appropriate parties to bring the proper resources to bear to address that. They want meaningful jobs programs that gives Newark residents a certain percentage of work in the city, and they want street organizations, aka gangs, to put their guns down and establish treaties. Again, bringing an issue X, let's say, to an organization that is devoted, that was started because of issue Y, is just one of the ways you can undercut the severity of issue Y and the earnestness in which the organization is devoted to fighting that issue. I can't believe I was resorted to using fucking variables. Now let's talk about police brutality and qualified immunity. We all should know what police brutality is, but I'm going to define it anyway. It's the use of excessive force that is unwarranted, that's like here, when when dealing with civilian suspects or people in custody. The first publicly funded organized police force with officers on duty full-time was created in Boston, Massachusetts in 1838. Boston then was a large shipping commercial center and businesses had been hiring people to protect their property, safeguard the transport of goods from the port of Boston to other places, etc. Source, the history of policing in the United States. Now that's the North, right? In the South, however, the genesis of the modern police organization is the slave patrol. The first formal slave patrol was created in the Carolina colonies in 1704. Again, same source, the history of policing in the United States. I mean, the South had a formal slave patrol a hundred years before the North had any organized police force to begin with. If this isn't telling about what the South really gave a shit about, then I don't know what is. By the way, if you're wondering what the North was doing before they had formal police... They had informal, for-profit, community-focused police, and they called themselves the Watch. And now, his watch has ended. That's that, that's Game of Thrones. Anyway, after the Civil War, these southern coppers basically enforced Jim Crow laws and controlled freed slaves. Okay, They kept them in check. Policing during the 20th century was basically characterized by corruption and bribery. Now, qualified immunity, right? In 1967... The Supreme Court invented qualified immunity, describing it as an exception for public officials who act in good faith and believe that their conduct was authorized by law. Source, Legal Information Institute at Cornell Law School. I know that reading a book is hard nowadays. People people probably aren't looking up the history of qualified immunity or policing. I got you, no worries. You don't got to do nothing. You just got to listen, right? 
Let me talk to you about some Supreme Court cases. Harlow versus Fitzgerald, 1982. So Fitzgerald was an analyst for the Air Force. This man saw that there were $2 billion of unexpected costs associated with a transport plane cited for technical difficulties. So, I mean, I'm assuming that he thought it was used for that purpose. So he testified before Congress that, that you know, there was, there was funding that was kind of sketch. And then he was fired shortly after. And he's, he's, he was like, yo, I don't like this. So he sued the presidential aides who were working with him for conspiracy. So the Supreme Court then ruled that government officials who violate people's rights maliciously will be immune under qualified immunity unless the victim can show that his or her rights were clearly established. Now, I know what you're thinking. Clearly established, okay, you just got to show it. Just some sort of video, evidence, whatever. No, that's not what it means. To show it, right, to be to show that something is clearly established, the court said that a victim must point to a previously decided case that involves the same specific context and particular conduct. Sourceoyas.org. Now, in 2001, with Saucier versus Katz, the Supreme Court elaborated on this, and they basically put forth a two-part test for whether a government official is entitled to qualified immunity. Number one, a court must look at whether the facts indicate that a constitutional right has been violated, the right of the victim, that is. Number two, if so, a court must then look at whether that right was clearly established at the time of the alleged conduct. This process was mandatory at the time it was established, right? Meaning the courts had to abide by it until 2009 with Pearson v. Callahan, which established that this two-step process is advisory. It's not mandatory for every case. And the process hasn't be, hasn't have to be considered in order, which means that you could consider, are there any clearly established cases for that specific offense? And then you can consider, okay, was the constitutional right violated? That's what that means. These court decisions together made it difficult for victims to sue police departments and government officials. The court would never rule in your favor if, if, if the officer has not, in any previous decision, been held accountable for that specific conduct in that specific context. I mean, this is why qualified immunity is a bitch, right? Before a case even gets to court, though, it's probably going to be settled by the police department. If you go to a website called capstat.nyc, C-A-P-S-T-A-T, capstat.nyc, NYC, you can find every lawsuit brought to the NYPD from 2015 to 2018. You'll start to notice that 99% of cases are settled by the department in terms of a payout. The fact is this, qualified immunity opens the doors for police to shoot first and ask questions later. They can shoot Tamir Rice for carrying a toy gun without asking questions. They can shoot Breonna Taylor and Kenneth Walker through their house door under the guise of a no-knock search warrant. I mean, they can do all of this. Now, over time, Police in general just rebranded themselves into the protectors of society, and police killings did decrease over time. But U.S. police killings are still kind of high, about 1,000-ish per year. Even if we fix qualified immunity or, say, abolish it, there will still be systemic issues in general that just plague the country. For instance, let's take marijuana, right? Marijuana is legal for medicinal use in most of the country, but black Americans have been arrested four times the rate of white Americans when it comes to breaking marijuana laws. Right now, there are dozens of cannabis companies making a fortune. I mean, Acreage Holdings literally boasted a revenue of $74 million in 2019, and since Colorado made recreational marijuana legal in 2014, their total state revenue thus far from 2014 to now is over $1.3 trillion. Source marijuana tax data, Colorado Department of Revenue. So, considering what I've said this far about the history of police 
and of qualified immunity. I think defunding the police can work. But defunding doesn't mean abolishing or getting rid of the police, right? Defunding means diverting the funds that police departments receive to other areas of society that need it. It doesn't mean abolish the police. Although some people are saying that. I'm not saying that. That's not that's not what I'm saying. For instance, put it into education, healthcare, social services, mental health services, etc. But people, again, people tend to disagree because of what it sounds like. And I think if you truly believe in defunding the police, you got to have the patience to explain it to someone who doesn't fully understand or who might be a little bit ignorant. Be in the business of informing people. They can change their own minds themselves. And let me say this, major cities in the U.S. cannot under any circumstances justify the amount of money that their police departments have or receive, right? NYPD's police budget is about $6 billion. How can you justify that? When healthcare workers in New York are struggling to get masks and basic protections, I mean, shit, condoms are free, but that's not going to help you with COVID-19. The New Brunswick Police Department, or MBPD in New Jersey, has a budget of over $20 million, and their Division of Health has a budget of just under 500000 Sourcechange.org. I mean, come on. <laughs> I have good reason to believe that police departments receive this much money so they can settle lawsuits like I was talking about before, but why the fuck are there so many lawsuits against police like that? Hmm. Maybe. Because a lot of them are abusing their right to qualified immunity. Also, defunding the police has worked in the past. But keep in mind that it will never set up a utopia, right? In Camden, New Jersey, seven years ago, when they dismantled this police department because of corruption, violent crime rates dropped 42% because they were focusing more on de-escalation tactics. You can look at Camden, New Jersey as a success story of community-led policing. I mean, they're required to knock on neighbors' doors to ask what they need improving, right? Source Al Jazeera and CNN. Don't get me wrong, there are side effects to this sort of treatment. In the first year they disbanded, minor crimes increased, okay, by a lot. Racial tensions still exist because despite Camden being mainly Latinx and black, there are a lot of white police officers. Even though white police officers, or even though white people only make up 6% of the Camden population, source Al Jazeera and CNN. Overall, I think Camden is in a much better place. Defunding the police is not going to set up a utopia in which police violence will suddenly just just stop, right? We want to hold them accountable. Some of the biggest issues facing policing in the U.S. are their mental health responses, issues with use of force, and the transparency of the police departments. Defunding might actually help police departments with all three of these things. Here's just a list of six things, six miscellaneous things that I have to say. Number one, I'd recommend reading the article Confessions of a Former Bastard Cop by Officer ACAB. It reveals the way the policing system is not working and how the structure of most police departments permits this use and mis- permits misuse of power and abuse, basically. Number two, I'm glad that the NFL apologized for not paying attention to their fucking players when they were kneeling during the anthem. They really didn't care. I mean, they just they just did not. And and people need to stop using the American flag as a blindfold. Right? I mean, these protests were never about the flag. People who are protesting love the country. They're just trying to hold America to a higher standard. Number three, I'm conflicted on the corporations' responses. So many corporations are opening up and issuing statements. There's some that really care, and there's just some that don't, and they're just using it as a PR opportunity. I mean, I believe Ben and Jerry's when they speak out against white supremacy, but when L'Oreal says something and a black employee immediately claps back, it's kind of telling. Look, If companies really cared about fighting racism and supporting black Americans, they would hire more qualified black Americans and give them a platform. Sure, donating may help, but recognize the problem in your own company structure, then open your mouth. Also, keep in mind the double standard here, right? 
Because sometimes it seems that we want companies to speak out because we're all like, oh, why is the world quiet? They're all quiet. But then when they do, we start ridiculing them for it, right? I mean, we got to take it on a company by company basis, really. Some care, others just don't. And the fashion world has been racist for decades. The fact that some people are just catching on to that now is, is beyond me. Before, I've seen so many Indian celebrities try to say BLM. Though their message is important, they're essentially hypocrites because they've done nothing to combat anti-blackness in India. Also, most of them have done commercials for skin fairness products. I mean, the hypocrisy. Come on. Number five. How is it that when police brutality is caught on camera, there's always someone who starts to defend the police? Some people will see a video of someone resisting arrest for just for a couple seconds and be like, ah, see, that's why the cop was justified in shooting him six times and killing him. Mm, resisting arrest is not an invitation to shoot and end someone's life. We, we have to rethink what the police are supposed to be doing. Because some people think they can do whatever the fuck they want just because they're cops. There's plenty of arguments out there that are like, okay, so what? White Americans are killed by cops every year. So are Hispanic Americans and, and some Indian Americans. Okay, then you need to be protesting. Speak up, donate, etc. That's not a counter-argument to Black Lives Matter. All that has been accomplished as a result of the protests help everybody. Also, there are some white people out there talking about the Confederacy like they grew up in it. Like, the Confederacy is not a heritage. It lasted four years, and the only tradition it was trying to uphold and protect was slavery. Lastly, this has come to my attention very recently. There are several humanitarian issues that need attention in Yemen right now. In addition to battling the coronavirus, many children have to battle malnutrition. And to make it worse, the US, UK, France, Canada, and other foreign countries have been exporting arms to Saudi Arabia, even though in April, the UN Security Council issued a ceasefire in, in Yemen. Relief organizations such as Yemen's Children Relief Fund and the International Committee of the Red Cross are taking donations to combat the crisis in Yemen. Please consider donating. All right. See you on the next one.